Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. How are you doing, huh? Let's see, what's in my cup? Oh, yes. This is the last of my Jack Reacher coffee with a little bit of Sulawesi. Hmm, that's quite good. So Jim is on assignment today. Jim is actually taking part in a uh, dance recital. I could <laughs> I could be very funny, Colleen, if I wanted to about that. But he's actually the photographer. <laughs> Jim is not dancing. Do you want me to put that image of Jim in a tutu and dancing <laughs> shoes in your mind? There, I've done that. No, 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 no. We won't do that. So he's on assignment today and won't be here. <laughs> But you've got uh, Colleen and Scott, and we're going to have a great program for you. Let's see if I can get my notes here. Hey, we'd like to thank um, some folks that gave us some, uh, some donations last week. Colleen, I can't see on the counter there. Is there any notes over there for us? Um, over here on the... Like the... Like the the mail table. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there is. No, a chair is blocking my view here, but... Okay, so we've got... Uh, yeah, I don't think there's any for us. We've got <clears throat> Jan to thank, Bill, Dale, Margaret, Aaron, Carolyn, Suzanne, and Randy. And one of those was a whopper of a donation. Ooh. Oh, what are you doing with your coffee there? Just adding a little bit of... French vanilla stuff to it. Oh, you like to doctor yours up, huh? On occasion, I think today, today, right now, I kind of, <clears throat> I don't think I can drink uh, straight coffee today. Okay. Well, all these fine folks donated last week mm-hmm. for the uh, KZUM Give to Lincoln fundraiser, and let's see, by my math, we did just about nine hundred and seventy dollars. So we've got about $16,760 to go (coughs) as the station to reach our goal. And we can do that by May 30th. So anytime between now and May 30th, if you'd like to uh, make a donation and support um, what you're listening to, which is KZUM Lincoln and Exploring Unexplained Phenomena, we'd love to have you as part of this whole uh, endeavor here. Let's see, let's do, um, let's do kind of just a general announcement here. Colleen, if you could do me a favor there when you get a chance. Mm -hmm. We've got a small uh, fan over here on the other side of this monitor. Do you see where I'm pointing? Yeah, I see it. And uh, I need to get that on this side Mm -hmm. because our board's heating up. Okay. So we need to aim that as we normally do or else the board is going to overheat and we won't be able to have any phone calls. <laughs> okay. Okay, so today our main guest is going to be Nomar Slevic. Now, he was with us um, last December, and uh, his second book is what he talked about then, Otherworldly Encounters, Evidence of UFO Sightings and Abductions. So he's got a brand-new documentary film out. It'll actually be out uh, the first part of June. And I was able to see an advanced copy of that, Otherworldly Amour. 
And uh, this should be a very interesting discussion here. Charlene is on assignment with the Capital Humane Society, so we're just going to remind you that taking place today, which is why she's not here, is the Capital Humane Society Tales and Trails Pet Walk and Festival. It's May 18th today at the Fallbrook Town Center. And uh, you can get more information at capitalhumanesociety.org. That's the annual Tales and Trails Pet Walk and Festival. And they have a, a pool out there so dogs can splash around. One of the contests is a peanut butter looking contest between the human and the pet. Uh, I'm betting on the pet. Did you ever, when you were a little girl, Colleen, growing up, did you ever uh, play that game where you would eat a cracker and then the first person that could whistle won? That's darn hard to do. (laughs) Yeah, I don't don't think I've ever played a game like that. I mean, I've played a few few games where we've, um, like, eaten stuff, but it was like, you know, never like like never really with crackers or anything. Whoa. Yeah, it was, it's um just trying to remember what it is. I had uh, my great uncle, uh, who Lee Hyber was his name. Mm-hmm. He bet me a dollar one time that I wouldn't eat a spoonful of horseradish. Oh. And I did. It wasn't that hot. <laughs> He thought I was just going to take my mouth off, but it wasn't. Because <laughs> right, I, I know one game that we used to play was um, uh, to see how many of us could eat a handful of choke cherries without making a face. Because some of them can be really sour and so some of them can Ooh. be really sweet. Whoa. And and the funny thing is, is like um, literally all the kids I know who've grown up eating choke cherries, we just kind of know how to eat them without biting into the pits or anything. We're like, okay, we know where they are. We'll just quickly strip them off with our teeth, spit them out, and then, you know, see, see, see who, who um, makes a lemon face first because then they're the loser. <laughs> uh, here's an impromptu cats for adoption. We're going to do the G's today. Ooh. We've got Gunther, Garth, And Ginger. Can you see Ginger's picture? (laughs) Yeah, I can see Ginger's picture. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Uh, These pictures of these great cats, Gunther, Garth, and Ginger, are up at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. Be sure and take a look there. I kind of like how they look like a staircase, you know, like... Oh, they do? Like a small, medium, large. (laughs) So it's kind of like you're just walking up some stairs. Okay, uh, so we've got dogs for adoption also. And we've got Huck, Harriet, and Shenron. Hmm. Now, if any of those dogs... What's that first dog's name? Huck! And Harriet. I, I sort of like Harriet for... That was my grandmother's name. Mm-hmm. I could, that's kind of a cool name for a dog. Huck, Harriet, and Shenron. Um, take a look at their pictures at capitalhumanesociety.org. What was that first dog's name again? Huck! 
There you go. This is Scott Colborn and Colleen. And next up is going to be... Uh, Preston. Lloyd Arbach. Uh, why am I thinking of Preston today? That's okay. I'm, so- I'm sorry, Lloyd. <laughs> Hold on, I'll be right back. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. We're going to get Lloyd on here. And uh, I'll remind you again that we did a, a great fundraiser last week, the KZUM Radio Give to Lincoln fundraiser. Uh, contributions are still coming in. We'd love to have you as part of this. Last week, if you didn't have a chance to join the great folks that donated, you can still do that. All the donations count up to May 30th. And what happens is that there's a matching pool of about $450,000. And so every dollar that KZUM raises is figured then as a percentage um, in evaluating all the nonprofits that are in this thing. And um, if we have a high percentage versus that, that uh, total, then we're going to get a higher percentage of that $450,000. So your, your money goes a long way. And we'd love to have you join us. We've got about eh, roughly 17000 to go between now and May 30th. And uh, the place to do that is kzum.org. Or you can call us at 402-474-5086, extension 1. I'm Scott Colborn, and you're listening to Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. And uh, I've got uh, guests that I'm scheduling now for uh, June and July. We've got a bunch of good folks coming up. And it should be a really interesting uh, spring. I think about the third week of June is the summer uh, solstice when we officially uh, turn into uh, summertime here. Although if you were a Lincolnite, uh, the last couple of days have already told you that summer's here. Yeah, it, uh, it got fairly, fairly warm. Uh, yesterday, I think, was uh, 94 for a high. That, no, that was Thursday. It was 94. I think yesterday was pretty, pretty hot, too. Okay, speaking of hot, we've got our next guest on, Mr. Lloyd Arbach. And uh, when he's not chasing all things elusive... He's the author of many, many books and occasionally teaches a class or two. So let's welcome to the broadcast Lloyd Arbach. Lloyd, good morning to you. Good morning, Scott. Hey, so tell me what's going on out there in the Bay Area. Uh, I actually haven't been in the Bay Area for the last couple of weeks, so... Okay. (laughs) I've been in New York, and uh, before that I was in uh, Phoenix for a meeting, so... I uh, can't tell you what's specifically going on here, but, of course, you know that I'm teaching the course for the Ryan Center right now, uh, the Introduction to Parapsychology. And uh, I had a meeting in New York with my folks who run the Forever Family Foundation. Well, I want to talk about that also. Um, what would be, Lloyd, um, one of the salient points of your class that you're teaching through the Ryan Educational Center. In other words, there's a lot of people that are interested in uh, either ghost busting or just interested in the phenomena. Right. 
And what what would parapsychology teach them? Well, you know, it, there's a crossover with with um, a latest article that I wrote in the Forever Family Foundation's magazine, uh, Science of Life, um, about misconceptions. Because one of the things that I think gets cleared up by taking the classes that we have at the Rhine Center is the misconceptions that people have about everything from ESP to psychics and mediums to ghosts, of course. Uh, and there are an awful lot of, there's a lot of, I guess, popular folklore is what it really boils down mm-hmm. to. You know, there's a lot of old folklore that has bubbled up from various cultures, but I think that we have created our own new folklore uh, in so many areas over the last hundred years. As a guy that is really uh, interested in the uh, field of ufology, I've been arguing uh, for many years now that we've got to start including people like yourself uh, in that in that mix. Um, it just it slays me when I go to a quote unquote UFO conference, and there are people talking about their their personal extraordinary experiences. And all the, all the people that are there uh, have been talking about pictures of bright lights and who's got the best video and who's trying to hoax something, but there's no parapsychologists. Well, our field, you know, parapsychology deals with psychic experiences, and there's definitely a crossover with people who have occasionally seen UFOs or who have reportedly had abduction experiences. Mm-hmm. They have additionally also have psychic experiences um, and I, I think that's where it is I mean when it comes right down to it if UFOs are extraterrestrial in nature then the only way it really connects to art to my field is if the experience of encountering the UFO or whatever else causes some psychic distress or psychic experience or of course if the aliens themselves, if there are aliens, if, if they're telepathic or have psychic abilities themselves, um, they'd have to kind of volunteer to be tested, though, for that. <laughs> yes. So you know, the other the other side of it is that when I, you know, you may recall that I, in college I worked at JL and Hynek. Mm-hmm. I volunteered at the Center for UFO Studies for a year uh, when it was in his home in Evanston. And I had discussions with him about parapsychology because he was very interested in the subject himself. And he did not feel that all UFOs were nuts and bolts hardware. Mm -hmm. He felt that some of them might have been psychic projections, uh, even of people who were witnessing them. Of course, those kinds of things typically don't get photographed. I don't think that I've ever heard that anecdote from you, Lloyd. And this is interesting because I gave him a ride to a conference in the... Uh, early to mid-80s, he was speaking in Lincoln, Nebraska. Mm -hmm. And so as a person that has a Fordian or a very broad interest in unexplained phenomena, I was able to sit in the car, you know, and talk with him for about 25 minutes on the ride from the airport. He said he was becoming more and more interested in the psychical aspects of the UFO Mm -hmm. experience. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, he didn't. He didn't lay it all at the at the hardwire, you know, 
ET um, craft type explanation. And of mm-hmm. course, he also knew that some of the what was seen were our own experimental aircraft. Um, so he said, I was in college in the 70s, and I was fortunate enough. I started out actually in astrophysics, so I got to know him that way um, and continue my interest. And he and I chatted through my graduation, and then I actually got to meet him a couple times after that, meet with him after that. Um, one time of which was at a PSYCOP convention, the Skeptics Convention, when it was held at Stanford University, which was a really eye, real eye-opener for him and for me and the way they treated him uh, and didn't actually hear what he had to say. But he was very interested that some of the the cases that were reported that uh, people's encounters just didn't fit the idea of something physical, something nuts and bolts. So he was really looking at some of the psychic possible explanations mm-hmm. for those. Uh, folks, this is Lloyd Arbach, and Lloyd is the author of many books. Um, ESP Hauntings and Poltergeist is a classic, uh, as well as Mind Over Matter. Uh, Lloyd's a parapsychologist, and he's also doing an eight-week class through the Rhine Education Center. And Lloyd, uh, for people that are listening right now, can they still sign up or take advantage of that? Yeah, um they certainly can. You know, I have students who had actually joined right before the second lecture, uh, which we just did. So we're about to do the third lecture. The third week is coming up. Uh, but people can definitely join the class. They can catch up because everything's recorded. Uh, and th- just, you know, jump in where they need to. Uh, but the information can be found most easily by going to Rhine, R-H-I-N-E, org and looking for the educational link. We actually have a brand new website for the Rhine Center, the Rhine Research Center itself. Um, so there's a lot to explore there, and uh, joining the Rhine Research Center gets you huge uh, numbers of videos of lectures and audio recordings and all sorts of other fun stuff. It's, it's actually a great organization to support, and I think it's one of the most valuable memberships if you're interested in this subject that anyone can get mm-hmm. because of how much you actually have access to. Okay, Lloyd, in our closing minutes for this segment now, uh, let's talk about the Forever Family Foundation and tell, tell the listeners yeah. that may have missed that, that thumbnail sketch before, tell them a little bit about what the Forever Family Foundation is. So this is a foundation that uh, is in support of the work of spirit mediums uh, specifically evidential mediums, so mediums who really provide good evidence, in uh, and especially in the work of uh, working with families who are grieving. In fact, the foundation runs grief retreats, which include the mediums and also some more psychologically-based uh, presentations just to help people move through their grief. But the mediumship part of it is really a key element. The foundation also supports the work of researchers, scientists, who are doing work looking at phenomena and experiences that, that seem to support the idea of life after death, which of course includes mediumship, but also would be things like near-death experiences, uh, my own work with that, looking at apparitional experiences, uh, reincarnation experiences, just a whole range of things that are in parapsychology and in consciousness studies that do support the concept that 
consciousness survives the death of the body and can communicate after death. Uh, it's a great organization. Um, it's free to join, which you know boggles my mind when people just who are interested don't don't want to take the time to just go to the website and sign up. And you do get a great magazine twice a year for free, uh, plus access to a number of other things as well. And we also run webinars. There's actually one coming up very soon by John Cruz, who is the executive director of the Ryan Center, a little crossover there uh, about whether or not, you know, for people to figure out whether or not they have ESP. So a lot of really great stuff. And that's just foreverfamilyfoundation.org to get information there. Interesting. Okay, Lloyd, uh, you've been traveling, so is this a weekend of, of getting caught up and doing laundry? or? already did the laundry. This is a weekend of getting caught up, however, otherwise, pretty much. Yeah. And, um, and you start for three to do that course. I have actually 20 students this time around for my intro course, which is great. Oh, I'm glad to hear that, Lloyd. Uh, again, I want you to know that when I talk to people in the UFO field, um, I'm always bringing this idea up that we've got to be um, broader in nature to understand this. If we keep arguing about who's got the best pictures of bright lights in the sky and the hardware aspect, I think we're missing so much. So I'm rooting for you. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott. Lloyd, thank you for all that you do. This has been Lloyd Auerbach. And Lloyd is L-O-Y-D, Auerbach, A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H. You'll find Lloyd on uh, Facebook. And you'll also find him through the RhineEducationCenter.org. <clears throat> Excuse me. Rhine is R-H-I-N-E. That's the <clears throat> RhineEducationCenter.org. He's got an eight-week class that is just going to start the third week, Introduction to Parapsychology, and I recommend it. I'm Scott Colborn, and uh, we're going to take the bottom of the hour break. We'll be back with our special guest, and that would be Nomar Slevik, and some conversation um, up, down, and sideways. So I, I hope you stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln, and KZUM HD. This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And Jazz in June, presenting live jazz every Tuesday in June at 7 p.m. at 12th and R Street near the Sheldon Museum of Art. 
Jazz in June is a family-friendly event for all with a market at 5 p.m. with food vendors, crafts, and more. Details for the season's lineup, VIP seating, and meet and greets at jazzinjune.com. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock and one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dick Valverde, and I'd like to invite you on a musical journey of both sound and rhythm to a place I call Mesoterra. We'll travel far from commercial culture and just a step or two away from the abstract. So join me on Saturday afternoons, 3 to 5 p.m. for Mesoterra, right here on KZUM. and it was getting closer and it was a red pulsating light. My laptop is not on my lap anymore. My light's not on anymore. My headphones aren't on. Everything's set neatly on my end table. It was right outside on the window. It's almost like it was following us on the passenger side. I get this feeling that there's a figure or maybe two figures standing in the corner of the room. That's the uh, trailer for the new film by Nomar Slevic. A couple from southern Maine, Shauna and Josh, are experiencing ongoing extraterrestrial activity at their home in Alfred. This is a story about love, support, and extraterrestrials. Encountering UFOs, extraterrestrial beings, haunting events, and other moments of the paranormal can be a truly terrifying experience. It is something that many people go through alone and can take a lifetime to process. Imagine then if you had a partner, a best friend to hold your hand and experience those moments with you. A soulmate of light illuminating an otherworldly hallway. Shauna and Joss are traversing their own corridor of the unknown. This is their story. Nomar Slevic joined us uh, in December of last year with his book, Otherworldly Encounters, Evidence of UFO Sightings and Abductions. And he's got a, a brand new book, excuse me, a brand new film that's coming out 
and it'll be out uh, the first week of June called Otherworldly Amor. Nomar Slevic is a ufologist and paranormal researcher. He's a member of Paranormal Research in Maine and the author of his first book, UFOs Over Maine, and as I say, the second book, Otherworldly Encounters. He lives in Bangor, Maine, and can be found on Facebook. No more Slevik, S-L-E-V-I-K. And he joins us again to talk about this new film and the, uh, the work that went into doing this now. No more good morning to you. Scott, good morning. Thanks so much for having me on again. And thank you for pronouncing Bangor correctly. I appreciate that. <laughs> hey, tell me about uh, Shauna and Josh. And I need to have you help me with the pronunciation of their last name. <laughs> uh, sometimes I need help with that as well. Uh, La Jeunesse, I believe it's how it's pronounced. Okay. Uh, but I mess it up every time I see them. So <laughs> it's no big deal. <laughs> yeah, I don't mean to put you on on the spot there uh, as a, oh, how, no, how, good. how is the name spelled it's a it's a long one here let me see um i don't know if i've got uh yeah here we go if you look down here under the picture okay. or over the picture there so no more uh i uh, uh looked through your book again last night uh, otherworldly encounters and the more that i've been able to look at this uh, I think this is an outstanding book. Um, I think you did a really good job um, at portraying uh, the the breadth of the UFO phenomenon because it's just not about bright lights in the sky. Yeah, it's it's. It, oh, go ahead. Oh, it's it's La Jeanne. Uh, it's La Jeanne. Jeanne. Yeah, it's it's a. French name, <laughs> and as uh, where, where, where I come from, there's a, like a lot of people I know have a lot of uh, French surnames or French uh, first names. And my my mom, my mom and my younger brother both have like really uber French names. A lot of French people are like you're more French than I am. <laughs> Well, thank you for that. I'm sure they're listening right now and be like, no more, you idiot. This is how you pronounce it. But <laughs> <laughs> that's all good. <laughs> but yeah, Scott, you're right. It, it's, And that's what I was trying to convey with the book, you know, and that's why the term otherworldly is used. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think just uh, qualifying it to extraterrestrial is, is too limiting, maybe. Yep. And uh, it, it's a lot more than, like you were saying, lights in the sky or even solid objects in the sky it's also about people mm -hmm. and what they experience and how they feel um, by what they experienced and i try to portray in that book uh, my conversations with them i try to portray you know what they went through uh, emotionally uh, where i could and uh, so i appreciate you picking that up uh, and uh, if shauna and josh uh, want to call in they are welcome to uh, the phone number is 402-474-5086, extension 1. And, and, uh, so uh, Sorry. what is interesting about this uh, film is, as we are talking about, this is more than just 
lights in the sky. It's about people. And this is a couple that, as a sidebar, has had previous experience as uh, paranormal researchers. So I, I regard them as a cut above most regular people because they've already had some experience in investigation in finding natural prosaic reasons and trying to rule those out uh, they've already gone through that with their earlier work and so to bring them together and then to document what's been going on this is very interesting uh, how did you meet yeah, Shauna and Josh well, it, uh, <clears throat> last year, uh, or about a year and a half, I guess now, uh, my, uh, 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 a filmmaking partner of mine, Bill Brock, he and I were working on our first documentary called Abducted New England. And this was January, I believe, of 2018. And he wanted to solicit some more stories. I had some witnesses that I sent some information to and, you know, seen if they'd be willing to get on camera and tell mm-hmm. their story. And that's not always an easy thing. Uh, which is understandable. And so Bill, <clears throat> on his Facebook page, had uh, put out a solicitation for some UFO stories if folks wanted to share them. And Shauna uh, did share a couple of encounters, and we had a few back and forth. And uh, Bill and I eventually locked in uh, some subjects for the documentary, so we had to uh, uh, forego, a, you know, the majority of the submissions that we got. Mm-hmm. And... It was uh, about a couple months later, uh, Shauna and I kept in touch, uh, and she would share her stories. And uh, so a few months after that initial Facebook post, um, she really went into depth on some of the the background before her and Josh got together with what she's been experiencing, and then told me some of their current recent encounters, and was really looking to, to speak to somebody about about everything i don't necessarily know if she was looking for answers i think she was looking to see like hey am i (laughs) are we crazy you know like what's going on here Mm -hmm. and at the very least i could go down and interview them and you know try to get the breadth of their story and not really try to make sense of it but maybe to gather it and boy i I wasn't expecting what i walked into at all Uh, so they they live uh, in, would it be fair to say, rural Maine? Yeah, fairly rural rural Maine. Uh, however, they're about you know thirty minutes from the city, if that. And uh, they uh, got a house, uh, and it sits on you know a large you know some acres of land. Mm-hmm. And where they are is pristine view of the night sky and. It's very quiet where they are, and it's really easy to to hear bumps in the night, if you will. Uh, you know, I've uh, had a, a history of sorts with uh, people and relationships in the paranormal. I co-founded the Extraordinary Experiences Support Group in Lincoln back in 1988 oh, wow. that ran until about 2004, 2005. And so I was around many of these people that we would gather and either have pizza or Chinese food, and we would talk uh, over a big table or a circle of of chairs. Uh, No holds barred their experiences, their joys, their sorrows, their pitfalls. And um, 
So we, we have talked about relationships, and this is a case where Shauna has had her own previous, quote-unquote, paranormal experiences, as has Josh, and they come together, and at what point, I wonder, does one say to the other, okay, do you know me well enough to hear this? <laughs> you know how I, I'm glad you brought I, I'm glad you brought that up because that's the epitome of what makes them this this amazing couple. You know, there it's not just this mushy gushy in love. You know, forget the world. It's it's a a, a supportive and, and understanding. I and I hear you type of love. I support you. I believe you when you tell me things, because I know you're not going to just make things up and I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt. And this is, you know, reciprocated between the two of them. And what uh, one aspect that I found truly fascinating is that they had these parallel experiences as children. They didn't even know each other. And they had these, these running paranormal experiences throughout their childhood. And then, you know, life gets in the way, they grow up and, and you know, still experiencing some things, but uh, uh, not so prevalent where it's, you know, controlling their lives by any means. But when you're a child, that's that's impactful. You know, they, they can talk about these stories like they were yesterday, you know. And when they shared with me what happened to them as, as children, I was just struck at the the parallels that they had in their lives. And the parallels mostly ran like from the uh, uh, in the emotional state of what they felt and once they came together as adults um, the experiences just almost like picked up where they left off if you will and they had this epiphany at one point after seeing so many of these things in the sky they then backtracked and looked back at their childhood experiences and saw it through a broader lens, an, an, an otherworldly lens, instead of just a haunting lens, if you will. And, and and was thinking maybe these encounters as children may have been more on the side of extraterrestrial or interdimensional type beings or something, as opposed to just quote unquote ghosts, mm-hmm. you know? And 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 again, I, I'm sitting there uh, at their kitchen table, sipping coffee, just, flabbergasted at what they're at what they're telling me you know and as somebody who has spoken to hundreds of witnesses gathering stories trying to tell other people's stories it's it's powerful to be in a room with a witness not just on the phone or yeah. through an email or something like you, you get to see the look in their eye the the tone in their voice and you, you their mannerisms and it's what I was picking up from these guys was, at the very least, they believed what they were telling me. Mm-hmm. And, and my belief at that point doesn't really matter, you know? It's, I, I, I'm just really third party and in gathering information, you know? But I just, I just kept get, getting taken aback by how these two interacted with each other and how supportive they were, you know? Yeah, this is Nomar Slevic and the author of uh, two books, he was on last December talking about the second book, Otherworldly Encounters, Evidence of UFO Sightings and Abductions, a great book. And he's back with us today with a brand new film, Otherworldly Amour. 
and the subjects are Shauna and Josh and their relationship um, with themselves and also with the uh, with the unknown when uh, when I've been in the presence of uh, experiencers I've tried to um, remove whatever jaded qualities I may possess because I've been at this for a long time and to try to understand that these are people that literally have feet in two different worlds, two different places. Mm -hmm. And I am um, amazed at how well most of these folks do. They're in relationship, they pay taxes, they work, they raise families, they're good neighbors, uh, they, uh, they vote, they're productive citizens, and yet they've got a foot in this other place that at times can pull them totally out of normalcy. Uh, and no more, when I, when I was with this support group at these meetings, it literally at times felt like I was in church. The sense of, of, of the holy, of the spiritual, very, very deep, profound experiences that I was uh, privileged to, to be able to listen to. And as have you now with uh, the people that you've talked to, including your subjects here of the documentary film, Shauna and Josh. Um, so what do you think is going on in particular with them? Do you think there's been uh, any unseen hand that's been guiding them through their lives to perhaps bring them together? Well, I always like to state that I 100% don't know what's going on <laughs> when it comes to this subject matter. I just want to always get that out there. I'm not an expert by any means. I think when people in this field call themselves experts, I think that's I, don't, I, I think it's a little odd. It's you know, it's, it's tough to be an expert in a field that's so vague. I think you can be expert in certain cases, but anyways, I just like putting that out there at first. So, what's going on, you know, with these two? I don't know, but is there some sort of unseen guiding hand with these guys? I, if it's not that, then I don't know what else to call it, because they seem one hundred percent. Uh, made for each other. It seems as though every step they have taken uh, throughout their life uh, has has brought them one step closer to each other before even knowing their, each other. And that is just as mystifying as what they've been experiencing, mm -hmm. in my opinion. So I think there's something to that, although I don't know what to call it. Mm -hmm. I'm Scott Colborn, and you're listening to Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. And it's sure great to be with you uh, on this Saturday morning. Our guest is Nomar Slevic. And uh, when the film is released in June then, um, how are people going to be able to hear about it? Oh, uh, well, they want to stick to uh, social media. Uh, they can either follow me, which is uh, my Facebook page, Nomar Slevic Author, and they can uh, just you know, see the progress. I post updates all the time about the documentary and where mm -hmm. it can be seen. Uh, and it will be available streaming on Amazon Prime. There's actually a soft launch going on right now where people can view it 
literally right now. So as soon as you get done listening, they can log on to Amazon Prime and and uh, catch the preview of it right now, which is great. Also, uh, it is a, will be available on DVD as well. And if you uh, are a fan of YouTube, if you type in uh, No More's uh, name, N-O-M-A-R, and the last name is S-L-E-V, as in Victor, I-K, he will pop right up also, and you can look at the trailer that we aired right before the the conversation started here. Um, I'm Scott Colborn, and Colleen is here. And we're talking about this uh, this film, Otherworldly Amour. And how did you go about uh, finding or deciding on that title, No More? Well, um, as we were talking about before, I think the scope is beyond extraterrestrial. They've had uh, some experiences that are potentially creature-related of some sort, uh, or maybe even sprite related of some sort they, there was this little creature scene in the house and, and they could only catch glimpses of it it was really tall and it were, I'm sorry it was very short and, and very dark and and it reminded them of maybe some sort of little sprite running around and there was this other incident that happened outdoors where this thing small thing like rushed towards them <laughs> outside and and they've captured some really odd EVPs and uh, like I was saying before, things kind of go bump in the night unexpectedly Mm -hmm. and I think the word otherworldly captures that better and for the aspect of their relationship, I wanted to capture that as well and I uh, obviously love uh, is the best word for that and I think a more rolls off the tongue a little bit better when you when you say it all together otherworldly or more i think it comes off the tongue a little bit better so a little creativity when it comes to that part of it. Mm-hmm. so uh if they uh had a uh out outdoor party and uh said you know we're going to have a fire pit um this might make for a very interesting evening yeah I've uh, yeah, I've uh, seen the, the the movie now. Thank you very much for that copy. And uh, there's a scene um, where they are outside, and this is again this is a rural area of Maine, surrounded by very lush forest, and they start hearing what they believe are voices in the forest. Yeah, I uh, I was with them that night filming, and it was it was macabre. Uh, you know, I I don't really know what else to call it. It was, you know, it wasn't frightening, but it was weird and it was a little scary and it was unexpected. You know, because our eyes were to the sky, and we did see a few things. You know, but you know, was it the ISS? You know, was it uh, some sort of other satellite? Were we a little too rambunctious and we were just seeing a planet? You know, like, who knows, right? And at one point, though, Shauna did see a blinking light. It was satellite size, you know, so way up there. And it did end up just disappearing. You know, she, she it was there and then it was gone. Mm-hmm. Josh and I didn't see it, but having gotten to know them and, and, and know that the trust they have in each other, I just trust that Shauna saw what she saw. She didn't say, oh, 
I saw an extraterrestrial vehicle up there, you know, like, no, Mar, why didn't you capture it? It, it was like, no, the, this was kind of weird. I just saw this, and now it's gone. So we're paying attention to that. And then we, we, we started hearing this mumbling of some sort coming from the woods. And it was, you know, a certain section of the woods. It was probably 50 yards uh, uh, past the bonfire. So you have their house, and about, uh, I don't know, say 50 feet beyond the house is where the fire pit is. And then probably 50 yards beyond that is the tree line. And we started hearing these voices coming from that area uh, uh, of the trees. And again, it was just mumbling. In my opinion, it, it sounded male. It was, you know, low in tone. Um, and we couldn't really make out any word. And I was really hoping that the uh, camera that I was using would capture it. But, it's, you know, I didn't have a mic attached to it or anything. It was okay. just the on-camera microphone. But... Uh, we, you know, we heard it for a little while, and we tried talking to whatever it was, and, and uh, we couldn't, you know, really get any responses or anything. Things that you're used to when you're doing a paranormal investigation. We did have a, a K2 meter out there, you know, just to see if, you know, it would pick up anything. It didn't. Uh, and I also had a night vision still camera, so I was taking a bunch of pictures at the time as well. And, and so uh, you're you're around the the. Uh, the fire pit and you're doing some filming some talking <clears throat> then you begin to hear this uh, mumbling and uh, if you uh, if Shauna and Josh probably went through if you tried to naturally explain this are there neighbors in that direction are they hearing the not knowing the layout there is there a, a house a hundred yards away that people are out in the backyard and that's what they're hearing glad you brought that up um in the area of the wood that this was heard there's actually no houses back there this this goes into the forest of maine uh there is a place that's way way back there but you're you're talking maybe half a mile something like that maybe a little bit closer than that now across the street from them there are a few houses there are other houses on their street but you're talking like the closest is two, maybe three football fields away. So, you know, this is a rural area. It's not urban where there's, you know, a house every 10 mm -hmm. feet. And it was also a very cold night. <laughs> and uh, it's not a night that people would typically go outside and, and even have a bonfire for fun. We were going outside to look for lights in the sky. And since it was so cold, Josh was like, hey, let's start a fire, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's not a typical time of year to go out and, and have a fire and, and sit, you know, at the fire and have a couple of beers because it was just so cold and uncomfortable. It was February in Maine, so that, that's not the time that people typically gather outside, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, the nearby houses, one wonders if there could have been, uh, and this was, was this just momentary or was this prolonged, the whole experience? The, the, uh, the whole experience was 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 fairly prolonged. Uh, we would we would hear the voices uh, or the voice because uh, it sounded just like one, and we would hear it in in spurt. And uh, the longest spurt is when we find walking in the sense of uh, it sounded like uh, footsteps on on snow, you know, so that crunching sound, mm -hmm. you know, coming from the woods. But that could be obviously anything. That could be deer. That could be birds. You know, that could be anything. Um, but uh, when we're outside and 
we did have that thought, like, oh, could it be the neighbors? So we literally had to turn around 180 degrees to look at uh, any other houses that, that might be uh, in line of sight. And, yeah, there were some lights on, and we would listen to see, oh, is it coming from this direction? And we didn't hear anything. All we could hear is the occasional car or truck passing on the road. Uh, but anytime we heard something that was voice related, it was again towards the woods. But really, you know, could it have been poachers? Could, you know, of course, it could have been absolutely anything, you know. But you have to have a little bit of fortitude to be walking in the woods in Maine in February and getting close to somebody's house as a quote unquote poacher because, um, a lot of people in rural Maine have got firearms. I don't know if I'd yeah. want to be out there <laughs> messing around in the woods for fear of being shot at. Sure, and, and it's not like if if that was the case, you know, that it was a poacher or somebody out there. It, it was very obvious that the property that that person would have been walking towards Mm-hmm. That there were people outside. There was, you know, six, seven, eight foot flames. It was a huge bonfire. I'm right. sure you saw in the film. Right. And and we were talking. We weren't trying to keep our voices down. You know, mm-hmm. we and we were yelling as well, like, "Who's out there?" I heard. And, you that. know, somebody's out there. Can you please talk to us? You know. Uh, interesting. So are, interesting. Go ahead, uh, one final note here that uh, again, thinking about the the. The people, uh, Diane Kennedy Pike wrote wrote a book years ago called Life is a Waking Dream, where she says that um, she suggests that you take your normal waking conscious experiences and treat them as if they were a dream and use dream interpretation skills to find the symbols and the metaphors, the associations the guidance. So I would just say to Shauna and Josh, you know, treat that experience as a dream. What would it be like if you were dreaming and having a good conversation around a fire pit um, at your home on a cold uh, winter night, and then you start hearing um, mumbling, subdued conversation from the woods? Uh, that it in itself is you know, extraordinary. Uh, and what would that, what would that be like? What would, what would that mean? Uh, and maybe there's some guidance and some, some, uh, deeper stuff in there. Um, I don't know. Wow. That's, that's interesting though. If they're not listening, I'll certainly pass that on to them. Uh, now, an, uh, another note to that night is, you know, I, I said I had the night vision still camera as mm-hmm. well. And we captured a couple of anomalies during that time that we were hearing the voice. And one of them was this weird-looking, swoopy, I don't know, almost like a a, a whiff of smoke, which kind of makes sense if you're having a bonfire. However, this shed is nowhere near where the... Uh, the, the, the fire is, but could burning embers, could smoke get over to that area? Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, but we caught this weird looking thing um, over in that direction. 
you know, so don't really know what to make of it, but it was interesting, you know, so I included it in the film and there's no definitive answer given to what it was mm-hmm. because it, it doesn't deserve one. Mm-hmm. And also caught this picture in the woods in the direction of the voice of this perfect triangle. Very odd. And it, you can actually, the points of it are, are glowing. It's very odd. You know, like little circles, almost like it has little lights on it, almost like it's this mini UFO, which is there's been reports of those for centuries. Uh, I'm not saying that that's what it is, but that's what it reminds me of when I see the picture. And it's this this perfect triangle. It's kind of, you know, because it's a uh, night vision picture, uh, it's kind of got like this gray surface with these points of light at each point. And again, it's only adding... Or, 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 yeah, it's only adding, like, more questions to what possibly could have been we experienced. It certainly doesn't answer any. But I wanted to include it as well in the documentary because, you, you know, it's like putting the, these pieces of a puzzle mm-hmm. to get there, uh, mm-hmm. to, you know, to put everything together. However, you're missing the majority of the puzzle, but you're trying to pick up pieces as you go. And, mm-hmm. and that was simply just another piece uh, that I wanted to add. Don't know what to make of it at all, but it was certainly interesting. And... After looking at the picture, because this was, you know, days later, I'm home now, and, you know, looking through the evidence of that night, listening to all the audio to see if I can, you know, pick up any of the mumbling that we heard. And, you know, I saw this picture, so I sent it over to, to Sean and Josh, be like, hey, I captured this, and da da da. So Josh went out there uh, uh, that day, during the day, to see if there was any, you know, shiny material or something out there that could have accounted for what this could have been and, and he didn't find anything yeah there's no road road uh, construction signs or warning signs sometimes <clears throat> triangular in nature none of those are in the in the woods there mm-hmm. interesting this is nomar slivik and he's got a brand new film coming out june 7th is the release date and it's a compelling documentary about the story of shauna and josh and their ongoing um, extraordinary experiences, extraterrestrials, haunting events, and other moments of the paranormal. You'll find Nomar Slevik on Facebook. You'll also find him on YouTube, Nomar, N-O-M-A-R, Slevik, S-L-E-V-I-K. I'm Scott Colborn. Please stay tuned, Colleen and I. And no more, and you guys and gals, we are exploring unexplained phenomena. Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated Butheris Mason and Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln. Offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bml.org.
fh.com. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dick Valverde, and I'd like to invite you on a musical journey of both sound and rhythm to a place I call Mesoterra. We'll travel far from commercial culture and just a step or two away from the abstract. So join me on Saturday afternoons, 3 to 5 p.m. for Mesoterra, right here on KZUM. Music by Enigma, and you'll catch them around southeast Nebraska, and of course they're the official theme music here too. Colleen is with us, uh, Jim Shorney is on assignment today, he'll be back next week. And we had uh, No More Slevic on the show back in December. Uh, if you are uh, connected with me through Facebook, and or on my private email list for notification about the show, uh, you would have gotten also the archive for that past radio show link on December 1st. It's a free archive, and you can listen to it and enjoy the conversation. We talked about his book, Otherworldly Encounters, Evidence of UFO Sightings and Abductions, and uh, he's the author also of a previous book, UFOs, over Maine. Uh, is there anything uh, no more special or intriguing about Maine? I know that, that, that UFO sightings in particular come from all over the place. I'm not sure how Maine ranks in terms of stats, but do you find anything interesting or uh, if I can use the word odd or compelling about Maine and these experiences? Well, uh, to, to answer the first part with statistics, uh, it, Maine does rank up there, statistically speaking, uh, at, at least according to MUFON anyway. Uh, and But that also has to do with population and, and you know, how all that figures out with percentages and, and, and things like that. Okay. But it, it, it does rank up there according to MUFON statistics. Mm -hmm. Now, the other part of it, though, like, I think the reality of it is that this is a place where it's, it's easy to look up. People... Here, and it's not meant to sound elitist by any means, uh, because I'm certainly guilty <laughs> of what I'm about to say, but we're not always looking down. Uh, we're not always buried in our phones. I am sometimes, but we're not always buried in our phones. Uh, it's a beautiful state, and people are always appreciating its nature. 
And that involves looking at the trees, looking at the landscape, looking at our mountains, looking at the sky, looking at the clouds, looking at the night sky, because it's so pristine on any given night, unless it's, you know, cloudy on any given night, you're seeing billions of stars and you can see the planets. And once in a while you can see the Northern lights. And I just think people have a penchant for, for looking up and when they do, sometimes there's something a little weird there and, and, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, a small percentage of those people will report what they saw. But I think those are my basic initial thoughts anyways on, on why people are seeing stuff here. Yes, uh, there's a book called Project Identification by uh, Dr. Uh, Harley Rutledge, who was a professor at uh, a small Missouri college that during a quote-unquote UFO flap back in the 1970s, uh, he uh, very thoughtfully reasoned that if, if these lights were being reported, then he and class members should also be able to go outside and skywatch and potentially see these. And they did. Uh, and what he found, Nomar, in, in particular, among other things that were very interesting, over 150 sightings that they couldn't prosaically, naturally explain as being wow. satellites, you know, weather inversions, um, high-flying uh, airplanes, flocks of geese, swarms of mosquito, <coughs> swamp gas. <laughs> uh, and, but in particular, he coined the term pseudo-stars because with a telescope, they would be looking at a constellation and seeing what looked like the identifiable, normal constellation. And then all of a sudden... Something just moves. <laughs> One of the pinpoints of light that you had assumed was part of the constellation moved out of position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Using the constellation as a, as a uh, 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 disguise, if mm-hmm. you will, uh, so wow. that when you, when you looked, you just assumed that the light, perhaps being generated by uh, either a power plant uh, and or a desire to be seen, was being disguised by the constellation. So people do see the, things when they go outside and look up. They do. Yeah, it's just paying attention a little bit more. But again, it doesn't mean it's synonymous with something extraterrestrial or something paranormal. It's simply a matter of, of like you were saying, trying to, uh, can you identify what you're seeing? And in some cases you can't, and in some cases you can't. And even if you can't, it still doesn't mean that it's that it's paranormal but what you were just telling me about the constellation thing i had a similar encounter uh in in bangor and this was geez uh 2011 maybe i've seen a lot of ufos in my lifetime Mm -hmm. i think only maybe a couple of them might have been maybe actually extraterrestrial but the other ones i I just can't explain what they are Mm -hmm. and and this is one of those but uh, i had gotten out of my car and there were three really bright stars up in the sky and you could see you know the night sky and all these other stars but these three really stuck out and i I was just curious as to like wow i i don't know why i haven't seen this before but maybe you know in the constellations you know moving throughout the night 
you know, across the sky at this particular time. I've just never looked up and seen it in, in this configuration at, at this point in the sky before. And maybe that's why it caught my eye. So I'm looking at it for a second, and it's in the shape of a triangle. There's, uh, you know, three points, and I'm watching it, and then one of the points just takes off. <laughs> huh. I'm like, what? <laughs> that doesn't happen. Stars don't do that. And and it didn't like take off and, or or blink out or, or or you know and take off at a high rate of speed or anything like that. It was just a level trajectory, you know, uh, fairly slow. I mean, we're talking star size, so you know, it's probably moving pretty fast. But from my perspective, it it, it looked like a normal rate of speed, and it just took off, and and and, and so I couldn't see it anymore. But the point was is that I'm seeing this triangle of stars, and and one of them left. And uh, I thought that was really odd, <laughs> you know. Uh, and I, I just remarked to myself that uh, you saw the triangle in the sky, and then later in Shauna and Josh's yard, you see mm-hmm. the triangle in the in the trees there. Yeah, yeah, very odd. These synchronicities, uh, uh, I find, are are very interesting. They they are intriguing. Yeah. They, they point towards. And they 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 happen a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Shauna and Josh have also got um, a family. I'm not sure how many uh, children. I know that there's one mentioned in the in the film, mm-hmm. and um, so I have speculated, as have others, that um, when we as as uh, researchers or simply interested people, good listeners, when we ask questions about family history, uh, it isn't surprising sometimes to find that there are uh, multi-generational experiences mm-hmm. going on. Uh, yeah, and I definitely have found that in my research as well. Uh, I was uh, interested to hear about the interaction between Shauna and her son and how she um, doesn't fill his mind so much but encourages him to tell her what he's experiencing and in other words to let him know that that she is interested in what he sees what he hears what he has to say his opinions and uh, i think that is so important in a setting like this where you've got young people that are also seeing hearing experiencing things to know that they they do have an outlet somebody cares wants to hear about it it's very important yeah i 100 percent agree and and uh, and i liked what you said about the way shauna handles the information that he provides uh she's not filling his head with you know these are aliens and they're trying to communicate with you or or even going the other route and be like what you're seeing is they're just stars don't be an idiot you know she's not doing that either mm-hmm. she's letting him find his own way and and i think that's perfect you know she can guide and she has been guiding but she's not uh uh trying to tell him what he's seen at all it's quite the opposite she wants to know what he's seen in his own words and she's very kind and and very um willing and loving and understanding 
uh, with her son. Uh, she has two sons, actually, and, and this was the younger of the two that that has had these sightings uh, that's talked about in the uh, documentary. But, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. And uh, there is some generational experiences that happened in their family as well. Uh, we don't get into that, into the uh, documentary, and... You know, I'm not sure how much she would want me to share, you know, on the air, but you know, I'll just say that there is Understood. there is some stuff in the in the background. Uh, this is No More Slevic in his brand new film set for release. June seventh is Otherworldly Amore. And uh more is that term that comes from uh is it uh Spanish in origins? It's it's uh uh well this this <laughs> spelling of it is Spanish. Yeah, it's it's actually more um, Latin in origin. So, uh, like in, like in Italian, you would say amore. Mm-hmm. So okay. th- this is just a, a variation of the spelling. There's a Colleen. There's a really interesting uh, part of the film where mm-hmm. they talk about um, a missing time experience mm-hmm. that that you and I have heard so many times when people talk about extraordinary experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, and could you could you relate, uh, Josh, one of those? I, I don't want to go through and, and uh, talk about the film and everything in there, but maybe this is kind of a part of that we could talk about, uh, the significance of one of those missing time experiences. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely don't mind sharing aspects of the documentary at, at all. Hopefully, it intrigues people to want to see it. Yes. But uh, one of their one of their earliest encounters together was was missing time experienced together, and they were driving home from being out with friends at, at night, and and on their way home, you know, everything's fine. But Josh doesn't know the area. Josh is from New York. Or from the New York area, and he had started coming up to Maine quite a bit be- because of Shauna. So he didn't know the area very well, but he was driving, and whoever was with him, you know, were, were helping him navigate. Mm-hmm. And where they were driving to was about 40, 45 minutes. And they're just driving, and <laughs> uh, or they're about to, about to leave, I'm sorry. They're, they're about to leave uh, this parking garage area where they had stored the car for the evening while they were at, you know, some various bars. And, you know, they had gone to a show that night. And they're all in the car and they're, they're getting ready to, to leave. And they're having an unfortunate experience with a ticket booth. <laughs> okay. And sometimes those can be frustrating. You put your ticket in, the gate doesn't go up, and it's a little frustrating. And at that time of night, at least in Maine, they're not manned. Uh, it's typically an automated service, and it's typically not a problem. You put the ticket in, and, and it should go up. But Sean is even having trouble getting the ticket in <laughs> inside the little uh, the machine there. So I think they're feeling maybe a little rambunctious that night. And they need to get out of there. So Josh decides that they're going to just go through the gate. They'll come back the next day, take their penance, pay for whatever has happened. <laughs> uh, but they needed to get out of there that night. They just wanted to get home. So as soon as they go through this little barrier, they described like this little flash of light or 
something. And the next thing they both know is that they're they're on a dark road. Josh has no idea where he, where he is. They just it's almost like they wake up, like they they regain consciousness. Mm-hmm. And and Shauna was like, oh, oh my God, we're 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 on like the road that my house is on. How did we get here? And Josh is like, I, I, I don't know. We were just leaving. And then all of a sudden they're, you know, five minutes from where Shauna lived at the time. And they they don't really have anything to account for that. There's no memory. Um, you obviously can't um, sleep and, and drive. I, I honestly don't know if there's cases of sleep driving. Maybe there is. Um, but that's, you know, it's not like they have other bouts of, like, sleepwalking, things like that, you know, to maybe have this experience uh, be a little bit more common. This is, you know, one of the few times something like this has happened to them. And things were jostled about in in the truck that they were driving. You know, things were kind of, like, all over the place. Like, like something happened. Almost maybe like how the inside of your vehicle would look after you get in an accident. But the outside has no damage at all. The inside's just all messed up. Like something picked it up and shook it, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And they, they don't even have their cell phones with them. And, you know, these are, you know, young guys and cell phones are a big deal, especially with Shauna having her sons. You know, it's, you, you need to be just that phone call or text away from, from your children. And they don't even have their cell phones. And they didn't find those until the next morning, and they were under the seats of the truck. And it turns out that on Josh's phone, he had some weird pictures on there that that showed, you know, some streaking flashes of light that didn't make any sense. And to this day, they don't know what to make of it. They have no memory of what happened during that time. Interesting. Uh, When we come back from this break here, I'll share a story about a a guy I met out in Wyoming and about his his experience too. That wow. Uh, the film yeah, is yeah. a very interesting documentary. It's called Otherworldly Amore. The documentary subjects are Shauna and Josh. It's scheduled for release date in June. And you'll find no more N-O-M-A-R, Slevik, S-L-E-V-I-K. You'll find him on Facebook as well as YouTube. He's our special guest this morning. I'm Scott Colborn, and uh, I'll take just a moment here to talk to you again about the KZUM Give to Lincoln fundraiser. We had so many folks that called in um, and webbed in. God, I hate that term. I shouldn't use that. (laughs) They made their donations through the website. There you go. I just hate that webbed in thing. But uh, we raised about $970 last week. Jan, Bill, Dale, Margaret, Aaron, Caroline, uh, Suzanne, and Randy. And great folks. You can still join them and give to Lincoln, give to KZUM Radio, all the way through May 30th. Uh, And what's so important about this is that the money that you donate to nonprofit, non-commercial KZUM Lincoln uh, keeps shows like this on the air. So it's very, very important. 
Um, many of you, besides listening to Exploring Unexplained Phenomena, are also listening to other programs on KZUM. Monday through Friday, for example, is the best blues segment in the afternoon of any radio station in the world. We've got people from all over the world listening, <laughs> including my late friend Pete Galati from Chicago, who said, Scott, you've got better blues than any station in Chicago does. So there's a lot of reasons to support this wonderful dynamic, uh, nonprofit, non-commercial, independent radio. And as Colleen knows, I have never in my 34 years had anybody standing over my shoulder saying, you can't talk to that guest. You can't bring that subject up. This is, this is a no-no. Um, they've trusted us to do a good job, and we've done our best to try to bring you compelling conversations uh, in addition to a little bit of fun now and then. Uh, if you enjoy conversations such as this morning with Nomar Slevic, uh, please consider a donation, and that's so easy. You can go to kzum.org and make your donation online there. Uh, $89.30 or 89.30 is the FM frequency. That seems to be a really popular level. Uh, we had uh, a number of people that did that. I won't mention the person's name, but we had a whopper of a donation. And um, thank you so much to that individual. So uh, if you'd like to donate, the money goes to a good cause. It's the KZUM Radio Give to Lincoln fundraiser. And every dollar that we get goes towards a percentage match from a pool of $450,000. So if we as a nonprofit do really well, we get a larger percentage of that big pool of money. Uh, finally, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting uh, that we receive funds from has an edict that says to get funds, you have to prove you're viable. And their bar is set right about $300,000 for a fiscal year. So several years ago, uh, <laughs> the first time ever, we achieved that, that level. And we have and will achieve that level again with your help and support. Again, thank you so much to Randy, Suzanne, Caroline, Aaron, Margaret, Dale, Bill, and Jan. And please join them, join them with a donation to nonprofit, non-commercial KZUM Radio. Uh, we thank you so much. I'm Scott Colborn with Colleen. Stay tuned for more conversation with our special guest, Nomar Slevic. The documentary filmmaker and author, his brand new film is Otherworldly Amour. We'll be right back. Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. This Week in Lincoln is supported by the local venues with listings here. This is live music happening this week in Lincoln. On Saturday, May 18th, Duffy's Tavern hosts Lincoln Calling's Give to Lincoln Party at 8 p.m., 
with the ferocious Jungle Cat, Misanjix, and more. Doodly Squats play Bailey's Local in Eagle at 9. The Mezcal Brothers play the Zoo Bar at 6. Big Daddy Caleb and the Chargers are at Bodegas at 9. And the Steel Woods come to town at the Bourbon Theater beginning at 8 p.m. On Sunday, May 19th, the Playmore Ballroom's Country Night features City Limits and Blue Mesa at 8 p.m. with dancing lessons at 7, and Zularius brings stand-up to the Zoo Bar at 8. That is live music happening this week in Lincoln. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing Black Mountain River. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dick Valverde, and I'd like to invite you on a musical journey of both sound and rhythm to a place I call Mesoterra. We'll travel far from commercial culture and just a step or two away from the abstract. So join me on Saturday afternoons, 3 to 5 p.m. for Mesoterra, right here on KZUM. And uh, I don't know if this is uh, certified or not, but we'll go ahead and say a happy 8th anniversary to Ryan Evans, our program director. And Ryan, thank you so much for all that you do to help this, this big ship uh, chart its course. I'm Scott Colborn with Colleen and our special guest, Nomar Slevic. Nomar, can I share a story with you that I found intriguing about missing time? Please do. There was a gentleman that I met many years ago at the Rocky Mountain UFO conference that Dr. Leo Sprinkle and Dr. June Parnell put mm-hmm. on. Uh, I went out every year because of uh, a number of, of very interesting things they would do. They had, uh, for example, on several afternoons, a open mic where anybody in the room could go up and for five minutes talk to the group about their, their personal encounters. Um, so I sidled up to this guy one day during a break, and he's about maybe six six. 300 pounds. He's a very large, big frame guy. And being gregarious, I introduced myself and I said, uh, why are you here? And he said, uh, I'm an engineer and I worked on the Alaskan pipeline. And my job was to be kind of a point person out in the rural areas of Alaska, making contact with the indigenous people that live there to assure them that we were going to try to do the best we could to do the pipeline and keep their, their area uh, pristine, to, to offer uh, any communication, support, etc. So this one area in particular, um, he, had, um, he had befriended the, uh, and uh, if you'll permit me, the, the tribal elder uh, and it took them about six months to form that relationship uh, and so as they had this deepening relationship the elder said um, 
next time you come out here, I probably won't be here. And uh, this engineer said, are you going on a trip or vacation? Or, And he said, uh, every year about this time, my people and I go to this mountain range and we encamp there for a while to pay respects to our ancestors and to our relations to the people above. And then he used his hand to point up in the air. And apparently this group of indigenous people had as part of their tribal lore this connection with ETs that had come down and intermingled with them on this mountain and somehow helped them. And so every year they would go back and, and pay homage. But what got this engineer intrigued about the Rocky Mountain Conference was he was a meticulous record keeper. When he and his wife would go out on the car trip, he'd have a little sort of log, if you will, a, a notebook in his pocket. The mileage, when they stopped for gas, he would note the time of day, the city, a mile marker, the number of gallons, the price. He was just meticulous. So he and his wife were on a trip, and it's as you described earlier, No More, suddenly it's as if they awakened, and all of a sudden he's flustered. He doesn't know what highway they're on, and they get the maps out, and he's thinking, what's going on here? And here's a highway sign that comes up. They are not on the highway that they should be, and they're about 50 to 70 miles away on a back country highway where they shouldn't be. He had no memory of of turning off from their route onto this back country highway, this blacktop, um, it was as if, again, this meticulous guy with all the record keeping suddenly is confronted with this gray space, this unknown. And so he was intrigued by that, and he started reading about people that had these episodes of missing time you know, am I having some sort of a brain malfunction, a cognition? Am I able to somehow go to sleep and yet drive a car, <laughs> you know, uh, make turns, etc.? cetera? Uh, and he said that was why he was there at the conference. Wow. Extraordinary. So you met Shauna and Josh. Um, and you began to document their experiences. Did you ever feel like, no more that any of the experiences or the encounters uh, came home with you? No, I, I wouldn't say so. Uh, I, I definitely have had a lifetime of my own experiences. Um, although with that said, I don't feel as though I've ever been, you know, abducted, but uh, I have seen, you know, like I was telling you before, about 11 UFOs in my lifetime. I've certainly had some paranormal encounters uh, in my lifetime. But no, I, I don't feel as though anything has followed me from from them at all, you know, like specifically having to 
to do with them. Um, but when you said that, uh, you know, I, I documented, you know, them, what, what, what's really great about Sean and Josh is that they are really good at documenting what happens to them. So the documentary split up into like two parts. And the first part is them telling of these extraordinary experiences that, that they've encountered. And then the second half is about what they've managed to capture on camera. So with these extraordinary claims comes extraordinary evidence as well. Mm-hmm. So when I first met them, which was uh, late June of last year, and this wasn't with any cameras or anything, I, I brought an audio recorder just to capture the conversation, and that helps me transcribe it later instead of like writing everything down at the time. And I think I was on my second cup of coffee, and I was I talked with them for over three hours. And at that point in the conversation, they had showed me the evidence to back up their experiences and it it was at that point that i was convinced that what that that what's happening to them is real i don't know what it is but it's real they have these stories and and then there's there there's photos there's video there's audio recordings to back up their claims and they're nothing short of amazing i've included uh, almost everything in the documentary and if you stick through the credits of the documentary, there's even a plethora more of photos <laughs> that I show that I couldn't even fit into the documentary. Mm-hmm. But I show, you know, the, their photos during the credits. And uh, it's just, I, I'm so glad that they had this background of paranormal investigators so that anytime something anomalous happens, their first thought is to reach for some sort of recording device to capture what they're what's happening uh, they don't always you know it's not it doesn't happen a hundred percent of the time but what they have is, is absolutely extraordinary do, do they feel uh no more based upon your uh conversation with them do they feel like this um this experience is changing evolving morphing uh is this uh is this changing? Well, I, I, I think maybe a better way to put it is that it, it, it might be, and I think you alluded this to this earlier, but it might be what brought them together. And they also can have some visceral reactions in the moment that they are experiencing what's happening as well. Visceral in the sense of there there's two different types of light that they see. There's there's white light and there's red light. And the red light, even though in society that might mean anger or, or whatever or stop or you know, um, um, Shauna gets these feelings that they're that they're ominous, that that maybe it's different. I don't know if that means species, I don't know if that means uh, what it means, but different than what the white lights are that they see and those have actually become fewer and far between as time has gone on they they certainly experience white light more often 
Um, so are, is there experiencing morphine? I wouldn't necessarily say it's morphine or, or changing. It's ongoing, if that helps to explain. Mm-hmm. Do you, I, I don't know if you've had a chance to bring up um, religion, spirituality with Shauna or Josh. Um, do they have any sort of beliefs that, that they've shared with you that you can say publicly? They certainly have some beliefs and 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 things on 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 that aspect, but I haven't. Uh, you know, they may have confided. It's not like they told me I could talk about this publicly. I'm, mm-hmm. You know, I'm very cautious to only share. You know what they want me to share, and right. and what they've shared with me that's okay to share with everybody else is is what's in the documentary. Mm-hmm. Everything else is I'll leave it up to them to to decide if they want to share. They're very active on social media. So all you have to do is type in their names on Facebook, Shauna uh, Lejeunesse. And again, that's L-A-J-E-U-N-E-S-S-E. And you can talk to them on Facebook. They're completely willing to talk to anybody about their experience or answer any questions. They're they're such good, kind-hearted people and uh, um, certainly willing to talk to people about it. What's what's next for No More Slavic? What other projects do you have in mind? Oh, geez, I, I always got <laughs> something going on. Uh, the next project I've already started, it's a, uh, it's a new book, and it's about one one man's uh, experiences that he's been having his entire life. Uh, he's from New Hampshire. His name's Mike Stevens. He's also very active in uh, the ufology uh, community down in New Hampshire. Uh, he started this service called Granite Sky Services, uh, where they hold meetings, kind of like what you did for all those years. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also helps uh, every year the Exeter UFO Festival. There's a sure. famous encounter that happened in Exeter, New Hampshire. I think that was 65. Don't quote me on the date, but uh, Extraordinary Encounter. So there's a, a festival now every year, and uh, and he uh, helps with that. He does trolley rides where he goes to all the various stops where things occurred, and, and he's the, the MC for that. And uh, But he's had a lifetime of experiences, so I met with him um, um, earlier this year, actually. And, and he was another guy. I had like a four-hour conversation with him and recorded it. And uh, so I'm writing I'm writing a book right now on his experiences. And, and other than that, I also uh, do a podcast. and uh, But I do that a little bit differently. It's not like a weekly podcast or anything. It's a podcast that I record in seasons, and it comes out every winter. And it's called I Want to Believe, the podcast. And uh, we record everything and... Uh, release it all at once, Netflix style. And season two is out right now. Uh, and that came out earlier this year, uh, January 18th this year, I believe it came out. And uh, it's 13 episodes. And you can binge listen or listen once and you hate it, and that's fine too. <laughs> uh, but you can find it on uh, wherever po- you find podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, all that good stuff. Just search for it by name, I Want to Believe, or you can type in my name and and uh, it, it will be one of the search results. Uh, if you had a chance, uh, Nomar, to uh, talk to young people that are listening right now, uh, as a uh, middle-aged guy who's been at this for a while, uh, what would you say to them about um, about anything? <laughs> uh, I think the first thing I would 
say is save money. <laughs> uh, always plan ahead. But uh, in regards to this subject matter, it's to, to be an open-minded skeptic. It's okay to not believe people, but it's not okay to judge people, to, to, to make them feel bad about something they've told you, something that they uh, confided in you with. It's uh, if you want to get into this field, you need to learn to, to just listen, just shut up and listen. The questions that you might have, you, you'll still have them later. So just let them talk. And if you let them talk, you might even find that you have more questions, more pertinent questions that, that you can ask them about their experiences. But, uh, but don't be judgmental. It's okay to be skeptical, but to be rude or judgmental is, is, is not good form. Mm-hmm. And no more when when you're not researching the extraordinary, what do you like to do for fun? That's a good question. Uh, I think I almost uh, maybe I've forgotten how to have fun. I know that's not the, the type of show you know to to air all of my stuff on, but uh, I can't help but to always be researching or reading or looking into something. But if I had to choose something. Um, I really enjoy watching movies. Uh, I enjoy listening to hip-hop. I'm a huge fan of hip-hop. And uh, I actually make my own music. Uh, It's been a little bit less these last few years as I've, you know, been getting into writing the books and documentaries, podcasts, and things like that. Um, But I really enjoy listening to to music and and watching horror movies. And uh, you find me on a Friday night if you know, there's no radio show or any research or witnesses I need to interview. I'll probably pop down watching some sort of uh, horror movie <laughs> on a Friday night, late into the night. <laughs> Many of the kids in, in my older generation, no more, <clears throat> grew up with the uh, Saturday Night Fright Flicks, where we would get together oh, yeah. and make a great big bowl of popcorn. And, uh, <laughs> and at 10.30, the movie would come on. And... Uh, it was it was fun because we knew that there was a parent like in the next room or upstairs, so you know there was a safe harbor nearby. But meanwhile, we could kind of sit <laughs> in the dark and kind of uh, 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 be entertained, if you will. Um, well, I've enjoyed having you on the show here, no more, and I, I appreciate very much uh, the uh, the opportunity again to talk with you. Uh, Colleen is over here. Uh, and, you know, Colleen, the, the thought has struck me that with the filmmaking of Nomar and his abilities and indigenous stories that you and many of your uh, elders possess, mm-hmm. uh, that might make also an interesting uh, interesting documentary. Yeah, a project. <laughs> And it's. I'm sure it would. I think um, it would have to be native run, though, because I know a lot of people have trouble. You know, writers and documentary makers have really a really hard time getting into contact with people who know about this stuff because, for literally centuries up until the 70s, we've had to hide all of it. Yeah. In a and, and and that's what I, that's what I want to say is like you know, it's interesting to hear 
all these, you know, all these stories about people being so confused about, you know, the little people, the, you know, the, the furry fuzzballs that, you know, no more. And, you know, these two, this couple described, you know, the, to us, those are very sacred beings. You know, they're very, as in Omaha, as they would say, they are like holy. And 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 if you and if you um, ask like an elder about that, they would have they would they would say you have to ask me those questions in the right way. Well, yeah, and and that's yeah. what I, and that's what I I would say is like you want a documentary like this, you have to let natives be the ones who hit it because you won't have the elders won't talk to you otherwise. Food 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 for thought. I've I've learned uh, uh, no more in Colleen that. Sometimes groups of people that are uh, by by association uh, one or two steps removed from society have a undercurrent of these stories that run through them. People that are on reservations, people that like the Amish that are in mm-hmm. uh, secular communities apart from quote-unquote normal society. Uh, and I've, I've just reflected that if, if I was an uh, intelligence and wanted to interact with people and yet wanted to keep the level of knowledge of my interaction really low, I would choose to work with people that are in areas like this because they wouldn't be talking to outsiders and the, the knowledge of the contact would stay right there in that community. Mm-hmm. Uh, no more. We probably opened up a couple more <laughs> shows there with those comments, but I, I do have to go. Sure. So, uh, again, sir, I want to thank you so much for the opportunity of talking with you last December about your book, Otherworldly Encounters. And uh, I've been privileged to see an advanced copy of your new film. Um, and uh, the title is Otherworldly Amore. We thank you very much for you taking the time from your schedule to be with us. Uh, thank you so much for having me on, and it's always a pleasure, and uh, we'll do it again sometime. My best to Shauna and Josh and their family. Thank you. Okay, I'm Scott Colborn, and stay tuned uh, in a matter of minutes for Beta Radio. We have no idea who it is or what it is, but it's coming up in just a matter of minutes. So uh, with that, I'm going to go to music. And I'm going to thank you very much for listening. And we'll be back next week. Scott Colborn and Colleen and Jim and you guys and gals. Exploring unexplained phenomena. Until then, walk in beauty.